Good morning. I am so glad to be here with you all today. We've been, we've been doing some traveling this summer, like many of you, and so uh, it's good to be home. We overcome fear when our conviction to act outweighs our fear to not act. So overcoming the fear of neighboring is our challenge today. I want to both challenge you and cheer you on, and myself as well, and I want to call out courage and serve encouragement as well. I've been reading a book by a Navy admiral who was a SEAL, and it's called Make Your Bet. It's a book about 10 lessons he learned from being a Navy SEAL. It made me think of our task of overcoming fear today. So just imagine, along with me, if you will, a Navy SEAL is waiting to jump out of a plane. He's in line, and the door opens, and the sound of the plane is deafening, and the wind pushes him back, so he has to steady himself to stay standing. The jump master yells, stand by. The SEAL gear is on, the parachute's packed and ready. His heart is racing. But he's trained for this. He knows the dangers, parachutes malfunction, sometimes aerodynamics cause two jumpers to tangle up with each other. And then there's those electrical lines when you greet the bottom. The list goes on. And then he hears it in his face. Go, go, go. You leave the protective cocoon of the plane and descend from heaven to earth relying on cords and fabric. But you have confidence in your training that you know how to get safely from the plane to ground. We overcome fear when our conviction to act outweighs our fear to not act. So we would say the Navy SEAL had a conviction to jump. And that weight outweighed his fear to not jump. Perhaps it was a respect for his jump master, or perhaps he had fear of displeasing his commander. And all those things outweighed the risks of jumping. I did ask a soldier I knew once who had just completed his parachute training course, and I said, was it scary? And his reply was, not really. Well, you have to know him, but... <laughs> Anyway, I then asked, what was the hardest jump of your training? And his answer was, when we had to jump at night in complete darkness. Oh, of course, I dryly replied, trying to hide my shock at the thought of jumping in the dark. I was his mother, by the way. <laughs> so thankfully, not many of us have to jump out of a plane to reach our destination. To be honest, my heart beats fast when I have to jump off the moving walkway at the airport. <laughs> so what speaks fear to you and speaks fear to me can be different to each of us. Fear is personal. For example, I have a friend and she raises chickens and she's intrepid when it comes to snakes, but she is so afraid of spiders. Without hesitation, if she discovers an unwanted black snake in the chicken coop, she will grab it by the neck, run it out, 
take it out to the field and throw it as far away from her beloved chickens as she can. But for a little tiny spider, she goes ballistic. It's another matter entirely. So anyway, as it's been said, we're in a series of The Art of Neighboring, and I hope you had a chance to read some of the book. And there's still books out in the lobby if you haven't gotten one yet. It's a great book. I've appreciated seeing how the authors have just unfolded their realization of seeing their neighbors as a mission field from God, an opportunity to spread, to spread the Lord's light and love. And I love that here at Oxford Vineyard, we're making that a focus right now. Not just prayer, not just acts of service, but also neighboring. And by all means, fill out as many of these little um, papers as you can with an act of neighboring. I know you've all done it this week, whether you've intended to or not. Um, I know the person who made them, and she would appreciate it very much. <laughs> so anyway, I did the neighborhood map, okay? Um, you had this grid in the book. You have your house here, and you have the people behind you, the people in front of you. Well, I don't know if it's possible to flunk, um, but the neighbors behind us, they're just all ears, and they just don't speak much. Uh, they're corn stalks, okay? <laughs> and the, the, the neighbors across the street, they have been there for a long time. <laughs> They're all soybeans, of course. <laughs> so anyway, I may have flunked that test, but for us to have a block party, it'd be interesting. We could have to call it three houses in a line party. Um, somehow that's not as catchy, but we'll see. Anyway, um, we're going to go to Luke 10, 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, that is the mission statement for every Christian. It's so simple. It's so beautiful. It's so doable. But why is it hard? <laughs> and why can it be scary? Why might we be afraid to knock on our neighbor's door, much less learn to love them? I want to look at some great neighbors. These are people who overcame the fear to reach out and discovered it was a great way to live. So these are what I call Hall of Fame neighbors. There's Jillian. My friend Jillian and her husband and three kids live in a small city in northern Ohio. They're very active in their church, and they not only moved from the suburbs into the city from a new house to a rickety old house that they had to fix up, to be close to the neighborhood where the church was, to get to know the people in the restaurants, to get to know the business owners, to be part of that uh, community. And they also began a weekly neighboring tradition um, called Free Donut Fridays. Now there's a couple of photos on there, guys, if you wanna head those up. I'm so anyway, they uh, from 7 to 8 a.m. on Fridays during the warm months of the year, they, um, they have free donuts, three dozen donuts. They have sprinkles, cream-filled glaze, chocolate, cinnamon-covered. They have coffee, cream, and sugar. They have orange juice and any kind of weather. So those, that's just their setup. So they invite people in. They have you know 30 or so people every week that look forward to saying hi before 
going to work or while walking the dog. There's no charge for this, but Jillian said every now and then she finds money on the table. People say, so glad you do this. So it's part of their family budget, but all, the whole family takes part in this, so I love that. So they're changing their neighborhood one donut at a time. So their conviction to love outweighed the fear of starting something different and sustainable. There's probably weeks when they don't feel like doing it, but um, it's forged friendships and it, it's made it all worthwhile. Next, I wanna go to the turquoise table. Okay, we can take this down now, thank you. It's a book by Kristen Schell, and she had a similar idea. She wanted to uh, have an impact in her neighborhood, and she thought, well, you've gotta interact, and they live probably in the suburbs, so they got this old picnic table, and they wanted to pick, paint it a bright color, and they picked turquoise. And um, the family prioritized hanging out at the table. They would do homework out there, they'd pay bills, they'd have their supper out there, um, and just in case a neighbor walked by. And then they'd not only say hi, but then they'd talk to him, and then they became friends. And then there was impromptu coffee and planned soup suppers. And the widow down the street no longer felt um, isolated in her neighborhood. So marriages were healed. Faith and prayers were shared in support. So again, the conviction to reach out and offer tangible love outweighed the fear of doing nothing. So this is interesting. It caught on because she started driving around and she saw more turquoise tables in other neighborhoods. Isn't that awesome? And then this is so cool. A prison director heard of her, um, her outreach, and he needed a project for his prisoners. So guess what? The prisoners started making turquoise tables to enhance neighboring. So don't you love that? So then there's my friend Carol. Carol, she just loves people. She and her husband, um, I admire them so much. For decades, they took care of a colleague who ended up acquiring a debilitating disease. And they not only took meals to him for decades, but they got all the people in the office to do it too. So he had meals coming uh, four and five times a week. And he didn't feel isolated. He felt the love of community through his illness. Um, Carol hosts with the most. She's classic and simple. Um, she has one of the largest home tables I have ever seen. I don't know the exact count, but I think 30 people can sit comfortably at her table. And she reaches around the world to neighbor. She hosts, um, she is a compassion child sponsor. She not only writes to her kids, but she goes and visits them in the country where they live. And she has a heart for the imprisoned as well. For years, she orchestrated a church writing letters um, to prisoners who were prisoners for their faith. And she not only just had names, she knew which prisoner got moved to which different prison when and when they were released. And she was savvy. I just learned so much from Carol. She would put a mint in every letter. The mint she had hoped the prisoner would get, but she knew that the um, <laughs> it was the person in the prison who was gonna deliver the letter would probably take it as a bribe. And so it was a way for her letters to make, it was more assurance that they would arrive. 
So only heaven will know the outcome of all these acts of neighboring. So anyway, all these acts of neighboring start with a first meal delivery, a first donut Friday, or a first letter. And it's all because the conviction to love outweighed the fear of doing nothing at all. But as with anything in life, there's fear that can um, limit us. So we need to face the giants. The children of Israel had to face the giants before they could claim the promised land. So something about the nature of fear. Fear creates false limits that keep life small. I know of someone whose experience with panic attacks makes them afraid to work. And so they live with family, they have a college degree, they're intelligent and capable and kind, they love family and children, but it keeps them from their purpose in life and it makes their life small. I have hope for him because I have hope in God and I pray that perfect love will cast out fear in his life and that he won't be so limited one day. And fear also, besides just limiting us, it can paralyze us. It can stop us in the tracks. In the scripture, we read about the fear that kept one worker from investing the money that the master had given him to make more money when the master had returned. Well, he was afraid of the master. So he did nothing. And you know what? He was rebuked for his inaction. Fear can keep someone from being passive, to, to be passive when they need to be proactive. I feel even as a Christian culture, we've been very passive in the last 50 or so years. I feel like we need to take more ground. We need to take more action. We need to be um, vocal and present in our community. So God wanted our lives to be fruitful and productive. Do you remember when Jesus saw the fig tree that didn't produce fruit and fulfill its purpose on earth? He cursed it. Now, he cursed it because um, I think this principle of fear paralyzing us. And we must understand fear and love, they don't coexist well in the same body. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to be filled with fear. I want to be filled with God's love. So you can think of oil and water, how they don't mix well, but perfect God grace love casts out any fear. All fear. As we embrace his deep love, there's no space for fear. As we grow in our faith, our fear should be less and not more. And as we realize he's with us at all times, we don't need to be afraid because he is with us. So if fear takes up a lot of your headspace, please pray with someone at the end of this message because the, the Lord has a whole lot of love for you to embrace today. So what keeps us, what fears keep us from reaching out? I think if we can identify them, we can deal with them. I think that's the purpose, so that we can be released. So there's the fear of rejection. You know, what if my neighbors don't like me? Well, my question is, does everyone in your life adore you? <laughs> no, so it's not a big deal. Don't be expect to be crowned Mr. or Mrs. America for hosting in your neighborhood. It may take some work for people to respond to gestures of hospitality, hospitality, but it's worth it. Our identity should be strong in Christ. While it's nice to be liked, we don't have to be liked to love. You know that if you have a toddler. <laughs> so while you might not be living next to your best friend for life, we can learn to be friendly, 
to those different from ourselves. Like the book said, you might just have a neighbor who is gold. In the book, they talked about a Holocaust victim, and they didn't even know that she was in her neighborhood, and they learned so much by getting acquainted with her and be befriending her. Then there's perfectionism. That's a lie that we need to be perfect to invite others into our life. I have news for you. If you wait till you're perfect, you will never do it. You'll be gone. Your focus is on you and not others. And if you perhaps attain perfection, then you will be there all by yourself. <laughs> because the news is that none of us are perfect. So if you have some weeds in your yard or some paint peeling off your siding, it just might feel a little less intimidating to someone else. And then there's the fear of overcommitment. All of life holds the potential for imbalance. So you've managed imbalance before and recalibrated and you can do it again. It, those skills still serve you well. You can say no if you feel like you're being taken advantage of and you can set limits to how often you're available. Certainly neglecting your own family at the expense of, outreach, of reaching out is unwise, but the fear of overcommitment is not an excuse to, to not start. Perhaps start small. Instead of having a weekly donut Friday, maybe try it once. <laughs> See how it goes before committing to uh, six months of weekly donut Friday. Then there's the fear of getting messy. People and their lives are complicated and messy. If we help someone who's muddy or smells bad, we just might get muddy or smell bad too. But you know what? That didn't stop Jesus, did it? Jesus did not fear messy. He did not fear muddy. He did not fear dirty or smelly. He touched and he healed the leper. He reached out to the woman with a history of broken relationships and he wanted to meet the woman with the issue of blood who touched his garment and was healed. When we get messy, dirty, or smelly in loving another, I have the feeling that we smell more like Jesus than any other time. As a former OB nurse, it's hard for me to watch um, movies where they have childbirth in them. You know, like you have an Old West childbirth and, and the midwife comes out and she yells, it's a girl, it's a boy. Well. If you look at that midwife, she's wearing a crisp white apron. And I think she's not been in that room where that mama had that baby. <laughs> because birthing, this is a spiritual principle as well. Birthing is messy. And spiritual birth is messy too. That's just part of it. But you know what? That's why we have soap, right? So just plan on a little bit of mess. It's okay. And then we have our self-reliant, independent culture. We can be proud. We don't want to ask for help. We don't want to admit need. We, don't, we, we want to do everything ourselves. We want to be isolated. But doesn't it say they know we're Christians by our love? Sometimes the greatest love is shown when the greatest need is shared. Sometimes simply ask others to pray for a situation in your life. You can be proud and alone, or you can be humble with friends. Then there's the little issue of doubting God, <laughs> the original sin. 
So to do this, it's good to develop a gratitude journal if you don't already do that. As you record the faithfulness of God every day, you realize that he's trustworthy. And doubt takes too much energy. Hold on to faith instead. Uncover the lies in your head that influence you and replace them with the truth of his word and testimony. You can trust the serpent like Adam and Eve did and believe that God's holding out on you. Or you can trust that God has your best interests at heart. You can trust the government of Pharaoh, even though I think you're pretty much a slave there. And oh, he wants to kill your male babies because you're too many. Or you can trust God has your best interests at heart. And by the way, you can complain about the manna and this and that. And you can take 40 years to go on an 11-day trip. So anyway, I think we want to get to the promised land sooner than later. So we need to wrestle with our bad attitudes of ungratefulness. When you're down and out, stop and think of one, two, or three things that God has done for you. And then you realize there's a boatload more. Not to mention Jesus' gift of his love on the cross. So doubting God is really based on ungratefulness. Start and end your day with the gratefulness of God. I think the fruit of that is that you won't want to keep that all to yourself. And then seven is doubting yourself and your abilities. If you doubt yourself, you're in the same boat with Moses and Gideon. God does not view us for our limitations. If anyone believes in us, it's God. He sees us with our possibilities. We have to simply agree. We have to agree with him and walk rightly. His paths will lead you to fulfilling and purposes for which you are born. And neighboring's just one of those purposes. So to combat all these fears or any more that I haven't listed, we have two things. We have his word. We have his truth to hold on to. And we have the Holy Spirit who his job is to teach us the word. So he knows we're moving forward into new territory. He knows we need encouragement. He, he's with us and for us. In a nation currently that's in turmoil in a world in chaos, more than ever we need to be grounded and solid in our faith. We need to be on mission with neighboring and walking with him. Second Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit of fear, not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Some versions say sound mind. So God's spirit can work through us powerfully as we're yielded to him. Allow his love to fill you. Allow his spirit to empower you with the courage needed. Allow his spirit to be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Now this isn't on your handout if you're looking at that, but this is just a little section on punch fear in the face. Back to the make your bed book in the Navy SEAL training. In order to become a Navy SEAL, you have to do a four-mile swim in the ocean off the coast of California at nighttime in shark-infested waters. And they give you a training on all the different kinds of sharks, tiger sharks, this kind of shark, that kind of shark. But the worst foe is the great white shark, who is a man-eating shark. And you're trained that if the shark begins to circle your position, stand your ground 
well, I think they mean swim your ground because you're in the water. But anyway, and if the shark is hungry for a midnight snack and he darts toward you, summon up all your strength and punch him in the snout and he will turn and swim away. Wow. <laughs> I want to be a Navy SEAL now, don't you? <laughs> no, so anyway, sometimes impacting the fear that plagues us, we've got to put our hand into a fist and we need to punch that fear in the face. Say, I'm tired of you. I don't want you anymore. I want God's love to fill this space. So anyway, we need to stretch ourselves into two acts of neighboring. The first thing is just to be intentional. Just reach out is a lifestyle. My thinking is changing. Um, Kevin and I were at a concert a couple weeks ago uptown and we ordered a Bruno's pizza and we had some leftover. And I didn't do this, but I thought about this. This is where I'm growing. There was a man sitting a little bit away from us and I didn't uh, offer him the pizza, but I looked at him. I saw he was, he was either an advertisement for Nike or he really liked Nike because his cap, his socks, I, don't, I didn't check his shoelaces out, but I'm sure they said Nike too. So anyway, but he ate nothing and drank nothing, but occasionally get up and look around on the ground like he was looking for change or something else. So anyway, maybe his fancy Nike clothes weren't really telling of the money of it in his pocket. So anyway, normally I wouldn't offer leftover pizza to a stranger, but I'm, now that I think of it, he might have accepted had I offered it. So next time I realize if I think we have pizza to share, I'm gonna offer it before we start, okay? So anyway, I'd rather be wrong trying that then, um, you know, they could always say, no, thank you. So anyway, I just want to grow in my aspect. When I had sat down at that concert, I thought, these are my neighbors at this concert. So when you're at the grocery store, you have neighbors, the person in front of you, the person behind you. Um, so wherever, everybody needs his touch. So we just say, Lord, give us your heart to overcome fear and to love others as you do. So, and then the, the next thing is to be consistent. We can be imperfect, but we can be imperfectly consistent. <laughs> How's that? When my kids were young, young, when Kevin and I got married, we had already lost two grandparents before we started. So they had two left, two, uh, grandma and a nana. And then they passed away when the youngest was four. So we were a busy homeschooling family. Uh, we were doing all the things, school and sports and church and whatever. So I thought community service would be good, so we began to um, do Meals on Wheels every Monday, and I thought that would connect them with the generation that they were missing in their family. So the school bucks came in the van, and we did a drive through for a quick lunch on the way home, and our very first client, she was snippy and crabby. Kirsten was like six, and she was with me, and the home was darkly lit, and she could walk and not, but not well, and she wanted her meal on a certain spot on the table next to the silverware and napkin. No kindness, no thank you, no smile. We tiptoed so as not to disturb her any more than possible. And I was trying to explain to Kirsten, we were, we were secretly hoping not all the deliveries were gonna be like that, but I said she probably was in pain and didn't feel good, like being friendly. But anyway, as time went on, 
Kirsten and I ended up doing that for nine years, and we made wonderful friends. Every week, there was a lady named Helen, and she said, the whiter it is up here, the brighter it is here. She always wore hot pink or really bright, bright clothing. So anyway, we grew to love these people. We grew to love them. Some um, asked us about our lives. Some just thanked us for the food. Some passed away. But they were all prayed for at the beginning of our day. It wasn't perfect, but it was consistent. So I'm just asking all of us, myself included, to be consistently friendly, open and caring with the people that we encounter. And I want to try to think about taking something to my neighbors at intervals. Now, my husband has this beautiful garden. He already does this with some neighbors. He'll take them some produce uh, throughout the summer. So anyway, but you know, we could make two batches of brownies or two loaves of bread or something a couple of times a year and just say, hey, I have this extra I'd like I was thinking of you. So anyway, there's, there's lots of ways. And in the book, they, they said, make sure your neighbors have your phone number and just say, if you need anything, let us know. I did have one neighbor call me to take him to the hospital this last year. And so, you know, it, it helps to have those phone numbers. But I want to focus, lastly, on the best neighbor, Jesus. So Jesus is our example of neighboring. And I'm doing this from the viewpoint of being the lamb, and he's the shepherd. When I am with Jesus, I know he, me he knows my needs. Not only does he know my needs, but he's committed to meeting my needs. I need green grass to eat. He knows where the grass is green, fed by the mountain stream, or he goes ahead and waters the grass before I eat it. Jesus is someone I can feel safe with. I couldn't lay down and rest if it wasn't that, I, that my tummy was full and I felt protected. If I'm hungry or afraid, I, I cannot rest. So he situates me beside quiet waters. Here my soul is restored as my heart trusts in him. He heals my wounds, whether they're physical or mental, or relational or spiritual, and he leads me on the right path. I can trust him. You know, I'm not very good with directions on my own. If left to myself, I would wander off from the flock and not even realize it. And it dawned on me with, uh, when I'm with him, I'm not afraid. His perfect love fills the space where fear used to be. When I'm with him, I just know I'll be all right. I can see that he has tools both to protect me and to pull me out of a thicket if I get lost. He prepares the land before me. He clears away sharp thistles before I eat and scares off unwanted animals. And he doesn't, it doesn't scare me that predators watch me as I graze because he's right there beside me. And he's on pest control for me as well. Those pesky flies that land on my face in the hot sun, they, they bother me so much I could scratch myself till I bleed. But I don't need to because he's poured oil over my head that repels the flies. I feel loved. I feel loved more than enough. I not only feel loved today because of his care, I feel like I'll continue to know this love all the days of my life, just like this one. Somehow, no matter what happens, I will experience his goodness. His neighboring is so good that I choose his loving kindness over any other way of living for the rest of my life. I want to be his neighbor forever.
So and in closing, we're going to look at another person I call an ultimate neighbor, Mr. Rogers. I hope you know that he trained to be a pastor, but he felt called to produce a TV show for children. See if you can hear any of God's heart in the words of his song. I'm not going to sing it, and you'll thank me for that. <laughs> it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a neighborly day in a beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. Aren't those beautiful words of acceptance and inclusion to end with? I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So we, friends, overcome the fear of neighboring when our conviction to act outweighs our fear to not act. Okay, we're going to, I'm going to invite the prayer team to go to the back of the sanctuary and the worship team to come up. And um, I just want for you to ask yourself, if you, if you seek some healing today, whether it's physical healing, emotional healing, ask for prayer. If you seek encouragement, oh, and Josh, I'm sorry, come on up. <laughs> if you... Um, if you need encouragement in something or direction through something that you're battling, um, go back for prayer. And if you want to seek to overcome an area of fear today, God wants to give you victory. He wants to deposit a great deposit of love in you. I just feel like there's healing and encouragement and direction for us today.